Hi, kids. Hi, boys and girls. In my hand, I'm holding an empty package, but this package would normally have what in it? Cheese. This is Kraft Deluxe American Cheese. This isn't a cheese product. This is cheese. In 2019, this 24-slice package of American cheese cost $4.59. Any guesses to how much I paid this last week when I purchased this package? Keep going, keep going. Shout out some numbers. Woo! The closest without going over. <laughs> Karen Potter, $7.29. $7.29, that's a 60% increase. Inflation, year over year, 2022 to 2023, was 8.5%. American wages went up 4.6%. Which number is bigger, eight or four? Inflation is winning, okay? Teenagers, this is why mom or dad are saying things like, I can't afford this. How can we afford this? We can't afford that. What do you think? Money grows on trees? How much do you need for this school thing? <laughs> As their voice gets higher and higher? <laughs> That's why they're saying these things. Now, corporations have used the excuse of inflation and supply chain issues to raise prices even higher so that shareholders could get more and more money. So corporate profits in America went up year over year, 2022 to 2023, 35%. It was the biggest increase in corporate profits recorded since 1950. 1950, okay? 35%. So again, is 35% higher than 4.6%? <laughs> yes. So corporations are winning over inflation. They're winning over people. So here's just, these are percentages, by the way. These aren't dollar amounts. These are percentages of growth year over year in profits. Mattel, 111,000%. I don't even have a category for that, and I took trigonometry. Steel Dynamics, up 12,000%. Amazon, many of you are going to do this for Christmas. Click, 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 because you got things you need to get for the people in your life. Amazon profits are up 333%. Everything above the red line is more than double. So 100% means if you made 10 million one year, you made 20 million the next year. Amazon made 333%. On and on it goes. Poor Kroger, poor Kroger. They only made 5% more profit in 2023 than they did in 2022. And Let's just be honest, since the pandemic, we've all said to ourselves, we ain't going to the Cheesecake Factory. We can celebrate at home. <laughs> and that's why their profits are down <laughs> 92%, okay? So again, which number is bigger? 35%, we'll round up the 4.6 to 5. Which number is bigger, 35% or 5%? 35%. This is why corporations are doing well. So this is why, for example, when, if you watch TV or follow the news, there's some guy with makeup doing the whole, this economy is strong. It's a juggernaut. GDP was 5.1%. It's just, and you're like, 
who are you talking about? Like, <laughs> that's why there's this disconnect between what's on TV and what's happening on Main Street. Now, some of you right now are like, Max, I came to church. I didn't want to be reminded of the stuff that makes me grumpy. Are some of you grumpy right now? <laughs> yes. Yes. So, so to... <laughs> So to add insult to injury, among all those corporations, all but 10 corporations that are registered with the United States government, only 10 did not do these two things. So corporations, what they did with this windfall of cash, they're in the board meeting room and they're like, oh my goodness, what do we do with all this money? Here's what they didn't do. They didn't increase wages. They didn't lower prices. What they did is stock buybacks. So if you had a share that was $50 a share, now it's worth $65 a share. Or they paid dividends to shareholders, which is why young people have these sarcastic TikTok videos where they're getting ready in the morning and they're like, I'm going to go to work. I'm doing it for the shareholders. <laughs> okay? So I want you to keep this in mind and the grumpiness that you feel because I want to talk about the temple complex of the first century. The more things change, the more they stay the same. So in the Bible, in the Bible, you have prophets, priests, and kings. Prophets, priests, and kings. Prophets are the spokesmen for God. They're the people who are speaking for God. They will say things like, thus saith the Lord. And you can take it to the bank when a prophet says, thus saith the Lord, God's telling you something, okay? This is what God says. This is what God will do. Boom, thus saith the Lord. Um, it comes out in things like, don't steal. <laughs> Love your neighbor. Welcome the stranger and foreigner. This is God speaking to his people through the prophets. Now, Moses was the first prophet, but Moses said a prophet would come after him who was greater. A prophet that people should listen to. Peter in Acts gives a speech where he says, you know this Jesus, the one you crucified? He's that prophet. He's the person that we should be listening to. So I got a big idea for the day, and it's really simple. Jesus is the voice we must listen to. Jesus is the voice we must listen to. Um, many of the people of Jesus' day thought he was a prophet. This is from Luke chapter 7. Great fear swept the crowd, and they praised God, saying, A mighty prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people today. In Matthew chapter 16, Who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, the disciples replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and many others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. John chapter 6, when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. And Jesus' closest friends and followers thought he was a prophet, the prophet. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Who is the word? Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. And then in John chapter 14, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me 
has seen the Father. So Jesus is a prophet. He speaks for God. So how does he do that? I want to peer into one encounter from his life, and it's actually the last week of his life, something you might expect on Palm Sunday. So the baby born in Bethlehem becomes this itinerant preacher announcing the kingdom of God, healing the sick, doing all this kind of stuff, and it culminates in what we call Holy Week. And this is in Matthew chapter 21, and I'm going to read the first 11 verses and unpack a few things. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go to that village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you'll see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Israel, look, your king is coming to you. He's humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The, dis- the two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him, and they threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God! For the son of David, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? They asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So up until this point, Jesus has been secretive about his identity. Anytime somebody says, You're the one. You're the prophet. He does the whole shh. Don't tell anyone. But in this moment, entering Jerusalem, he tells his disciples, go get this donkey, go get this colt, and he gets on it and rides in it. Everybody knows that Zechariah, the prophet, said this. Everybody knows Zechariah was telling Israel, kings are takers. Kings are takers. They come riding in on a war horse. They take your sons and conscript them into military service. They tax you to death. Kings take everything from you. But when the true king comes, he's not going to be taking. He's going to be giving. He's going to be humble, riding on a colt. And so Jesus leans into this identity as he enters Jerusalem. And then he does something utterly remarkable. Um, And that's the next section. He borrows... Uh, from the prophet Isaiah and the prophet Ezekiel. Prophets in the Old Testament would often engage in public theater. Isaiah was told by God, walk around the city of Jerusalem naked for one year. Imagine for a moment that you got a guy in Washington, D.C. who's showing up regularly in front of the White House, in front of the Capitol building, buck naked and doing the whole I'm here to announce on behalf of the Lord that the Chinese are coming and they're going to take you and they're going to move you up to Canada and down to Mexico and they're going to occupy this land. We'd arrest that guy and throw him in jail (laughs) for breaking several laws and making us all mad. That's what God told Isaiah to do. And then God told Ezekiel to shave his beard and hair, take a third of it and burn it take a third of it, throw it in the air and slash at it with a sword and then take another third and let it just be scattered by the wind because that's what God was going to do to his people in judgment. 
So Jesus enters Jerusalem and enters the temple, and this is verse 12 and following. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. So Jesus does the same kind of prophetic theater that we see in Isaiah and in Ezekiel. Now, at Passover time, in and around Jerusalem, you have about 150,000 extra people that have come for Passover. Every single one of them has to pay the half shekel tax, and most of them are going to want to pay to get a sacrifice so that they can be right with God. And the money changers allowed them to do that. So you couldn't bring your stinky, rotten, idolatrous coins that bared the image of Caesar on them. No, you had to get a shekel, a Tyrian shekel. So they were technically called tetradrachms and drachms, but they're shekels and half shekels. Until 30 AD, these people operated their booths outside of the temple complex up and around the Mount of Olives. That's where you would go to get your dirty money exchanged for clean money so that you could buy your sacrifice, pay for your half shekel temple tax for the year, that kind of stuff. And I learned this from Craig Evans and Tim Mackey. I didn't know this until this year. In 30 AD, Caiaphas moved the money changers inside the temple complex. He put them here in the portico, this roof-covered thing with all the columns. It's where the Sanhedrin would meet. And so as you were coming into the temple complex, this was kind of a big main entry to enter this way. And so he put them there so that he could charge them rent. And the money changers, paying this high rent to the high priestly families, of course, passed it along to the customer. <laughs> and you had exorbitant change rate, exchange rates that were going on. Um, in the first century, we read from rabbis who are utterly disgusted at the dowry price paid for the, the daughters of some of the high priestly families, like Annas and Caiaphas. Record-setting dowries. Like that people were, can you believe this is the dowry? that Like, not even a king pays that much. Like, it was the subject of gossip and animosity. And so, it was so bad that Simeon Gamaliel, who's one of the big rabbis of the day, he writes about a woman who had five, she suffered five miscarriages. Five miscarriages. So, in order for it to be right in between temple visits, she's got to offer five doves to be clean, to be right with God. Now, the price for a dove was supposed to be, uh, I want to get this currency right, one dinar, one silver dinar. But that woman was charged one gold dinar for each dove, a 25-fold increase. And that's just one woman. One woman's story of her encounter entering the temple, trying to get right with God, facing the money changers, facing the system, and being at the wrong end, on the wrong street, 
the wrong end of the stick. The whole system is what? Corrupt. The whole system, the very place that's supposed to be a place of prayer, that's supposed to be a place of refuge for people who are widows and the poor, etc., has become a place where they're further shaken and extorted for money. And Jesus enters into that portico, John tells us, with a whip and drives these people out in a prophetic way. And when he does that, he's echoing Isaiah chapter 56 and Jeremiah chapter 7. I'm just going to read Jeremiah. I won't have to explain it. As soon as I'm done reading, you'll be like, oh, oh, (laughs) okay. This is Jeremiah chapter 7. The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, go to the entrance to the Lord's temple and give this message to the people. Oh, Judah, listen to this message from the Lord. Listen to it, all you who worship here. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says. Even now, if you quit your evil ways, I'll let you stay in your own land. But don't be fooled by those who promise you safely, safety simply because the Lord's temple is here. They chant, the Lord's temple is here. The Lord's temple is here. But I will be merciful only if you stop your evil thoughts and deeds and start treating each other with justice. Only if you stop exploiting foreigners, orphans, and widows. Only if you stop your murdering, and only if you stop harming yourselves by worshiping idols, then I will let you stay in this land that I gave to your ancestors. Don't be fooled into thinking that you will never suffer because the temple is here. It's a lie. Do you really think that you can steal, murder, commit adultery, lie, and burn incense to Baal and all those other new gods of yours, and then come here and stand before me in my temple and chant, we're safe, only to go right back to all those evils again? Don't you yourselves admit that this temple, which bears my name, has become a den of thieves. Surely I, the Lord, have spoken, and I see all that is going on here. So Jesus is echoing this prophetic strand that goes all the way back to what we would call the prophets of the Old Testament. By the way, later this same week, Uh, Jesus keeps traveling between Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives, Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives. And one day going through the Mount of Olives, there's lots of fig trees there. He comes across a fig tree. It's really leafy, but in looking around, there's no fruit. He curses the fig tree. The next day, the next day, the disciples are walking by. They're all walking by and the disciples are like, oh my, master, the, the fig tree that you cursed, like it's all withered and dead overnight. And they're astounded. And Jesus says this. He says, and it's in Mark chapter 11, verses 22 and 24. Jesus said to his disciples, have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen but you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe you've received it, it'll be yours. Now we Americans, we read these verses and we individualize it all, right? So I read that and I go, Jesus is saying to me, Max, that in my relationship mountain, if I just have enough faith and I pray, God's gonna have a breakthrough in this relationship. Or God's saying to me, Max, in my job situation, that if I just, you know, right, this mountain in my job, and there's some truth to that, okay? There is some truth to that. 
but Jesus is standing on the Mount of Olives. There's only one mountain in view when he says this mountain. Do you know which mountain it is? This mountain is the mountain that has the temple on it. That's what's literally behind him and the disciples. That's literally what they're looking at. As he says, say to this mountain, be thrown into the sea and it will happen. The whip, the money changers, the fig tree, the this mountain, it's all summarized by that plaque that I saw in the movie, The Shawshank Redemption in the warden's office. And the plaque was this cross stitch and it said, his judgment cometh and that right soon. <laughs> okay. Jesus tells the truth. Jesus tells the truth. God is a big fan of the truth. Um, and he is a better truth teller. So if you want to know what's really true, look to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Okay. Let me ask a, a couple of questions in light of this passage. When was the last time you were amazed by what Jesus actually said? When was the last time you were actually amazed? Because we read this time and time in scripture, right? Jesus teaches, Jesus says something, and what do the crowds do? They're amazed, they're astonished. There's not anybody who's talking like this and saying these kinds of things. And then who in your life consistently tells you the truth? Who in your life consistently tells you the truth? So first of all, allow yourself to be amazed once again by Jesus. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about building a house on sand and building a house on the rock. And he says, the people who build a house on a rock are people who listen to what he says and do what he says. Okay? Um, and we have this tendency because we're Americans to dismiss it. Well, he didn't really say, he didn't really mean, you got to understand, you got to take it, you can't take it at face value. So let me just remind you of two simple things that Jesus said that were straight up that we still struggle with today. Love your enemies. Not tolerate your enemies. <laughs> Not unfriend them on Facebook and all the other ways. Like love your enemies. And then if you forgive others, God will forgive you. If you don't forgive others, God will not forgive you. Like, how's that working in our lives? Like, it's 2,000 years later, and it's still astonishing. And then secondly, listen for the voice of Jesus, particularly at Christmas. Let's acknowledge, most of us in this room are Americans. We're, we're living in America. America's version of Christmas is go, 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 get, 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 eat, 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 woo, cram it all in, right? And in January, look at those statements and go, <laughs> okay, that's America. American Christmas is really about profit and some other things, okay? In that, knowing that that's our context, it would be wise for us to every now and then pause and try and discern the voice of Jesus. And I'll tell you, it's going to sound just like the Jesus in the gospel, just like Jesus in the Gospels. Um, when you stumble, merciful. When you drift, challenging. <laughs> but it's going to sound just like Jesus in the Gospel. I did this about a year ago. I'm going to do this again. I'm going to read a couple of statements, and you tell me if this sounds like the voice of Jesus. Max, you're such a loser and a terrible pastor. Is that the voice of Jesus? 
Do you have voices like that that say things to you, only it's not the word pastor, it's something else? Yes, you do. <laughs> okay. Um, how about this one? I'm with you in this. Jesus, you should talk to that person. Probably Jesus. <laughs> okay. Jesus speaks through his word. Jesus is the living word. So if you're not in the Bible in this season, let me issue a simple challenge to you. Read through the gospel of Mark, one chapter a day. Mark chapter one, Mark chapter two, Mark chapter three, Mark chapter four. You do a chapter a day. If you start today, you'll be done by January 1st, January 2nd. And in the season of Advent, you will have read an entire gospel and I bet Jesus will speak to you because <laughs> he still speaks through his word. Remember, when Jesus speaks, we hear God speak, okay? And I need to draw out this thing at the bottom about conviction and shame. So uh, because Jesus tells the truth and because Jesus speaks God's word, on the one hand, Jesus is going to affirm our identity in Christ Jesus. We are adopted sons and daughters. There is nothing that can separate us from God's love. On the other hand, there are going to be these moments in our life because of our behavior or habit or attitude that we kind of face the whip of Jesus. Jesus isn't condemning us as a person. He's drawing attention to the fact that our behavior, our attitudes, our actions are not in line with the way God wants us to live, right? So here's the difference between conviction and shame. Conviction is simply, I've done something disgusting. I've done something bad. Shame is, I am bad. I am disgusting. God doesn't shame. God convicts. Do you see the difference? And that's probably a good thing to keep in mind because you live in America, and I'm going to tell you that America's got lots of shame <laughs> for everybody these days for all kinds of reasons. God does not shame, God convicts, okay? So Jesus, the prophet, Jesus, the truth teller, shows us God's heart. God is moved by those who are oppressed, by those who are used, by those who are taken advantage of. God is moved. God is moved. He broke out a whip, <laughs> okay? You have a lot of voices in your life these days, but I just want to encourage you on this third Sunday of Advent to listen for the voice of Jesus. And I think God himself says it best. So Jesus goes to be baptized by his um, cousin, John the Baptist. And there's a voice from heaven that says this, and it's recorded in Luke's gospel, chapter nine. A voice from the cloud came saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Listen to him.